Good morning, Calvary. We are continuing on in our series this morning through the story of the Bible. And we're spending one more week on the Sermon on the Mount, which is uh, kind of cruel to only spend two weeks on this passage. There's just so much here. Um, And I've been thinking all week about what to emphasize and really choosing what to leave out. But if you were with us last week, you remember Gerald, Pastor Gerald, pointing out and emphasizing that in order for us to live into this series of instructions and teachings by, from Jesus, we need something. We need the power of the Spirit. And so in this new covenant era that we find ourselves in, we have the Spirit indwelling us in a new way. And he's filling us and empowering us to be able to live in what the Old Testament could really only envision. And so if we saw last week the the importance of the power of the Spirit, this week I really want to hone in on the essentialness of this new role of who God is as our Father. God our Father. So Father, Son, and Spirit, all three essential in understanding and living into the vision of really the Christian life that Jesus lays out for us in these passages. So if you have a Bible, will you make your way over to Matthew chapter 5? And let me pray for us to begin our time together. Heavenly Father, we need to hear from you. Lord, we ask that through your spirit, you would usher your word into our hearts to change us, to convict us, and to really shape us into the image of your Son. It's in Jesus' name we can ask these things. Amen. So I spent all week reading the Sermon on the Mount over and over again. And here's what has struck me. Here's one of my big conclusions. You ready? I like it when my life goes well. That's right. I like it when my life goes well. So I think that's pretty obvious. I think that puts me in good company with you all. And when things go wrong, I usually don't like it and pray that things would be better. So again, that probably puts me in good company. There's nothing wrong with that. We're, we're taught to pray and ask for what we need. But here's another thing I realized is that when things don't change, so I pray and they don't change or don't change quickly, or there's an issue or a character flaw that keeps lingering, my mind starts drawing the conclusion that God isn't really there for me. So I subconsciously, I think, associate the good things in my life with the love of God and the hard things in my life I kind of associate with God's absence in my life. And, you know, I don't believe this to be true theologically, but I find it to be true in my own heart. So if you get the job or you get the raise or you get into the right school, you feel like God's with you. But if you don't, you feel like he's abandoned you. And when life is easy, God's there. But when the burdens of stress and the past year under a pandemic weigh you down and weigh me down, and you start feeling miserable and depressed, you feel like God has left you. God isn't really there for you anymore. So I know it's not true, but I, I, I found that to be something I kept 
realizing about myself as I studied these, these words. And so as I was reflecting on that this week, I came up with my own Sermon on the Mount. You ready for this? See if you can relate to this. So here's John's Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when you don't mourn. Blessed are you when people don't revile you or persecute you, when no one slaps you on the cheek, when no one sues you and takes your stuff. I mean, forget loving your enemies. Blessed are you when you just don't have any enemies. Blessed are you when you never have to be anxious about food or clothing. In other words, blessed are you when life goes how you want it to go. That's what I found true in my own heart. And of course, what I'm articulating is a sort of blending of the Sermon on the Mount meets uh, America, the American dream. So an Americanized gospel that God shows that he's for me when things go well and he makes my life easy. And yet this is in stark contrast to Jesus and his life. And it's clear in the Sermon on the Mount, as well as in the entirety of Jesus' life and ministry, that his life was a life of hardship and deprivation and persecution. He was wrongfully accused. He was betrayed. He was even crucified. And yet he never doubted that his father was for him. He just viewed his father's love in fundamentally different categories. That still leaves us with the question of why. Why the difficulty? Why the suffering? Why does God allow so much pain and hardship to come into the lives of his children? And I think what we're going to see this morning is the way the Sermon on the Mount answers this is in two ways. One of the ways is in our calling in the world, what God has called us to be in the world. And another way we'll see an answer to this question is in God's desire for us to be conformed to Christ, to be conformed to the image of his son. Let's start off, though, with the first one, with our calling in the world. So look again with me, if you've got your Bible turned there, to the first passage read for us from Matthew chapter 6. Starting in verse 13, you'll see Jesus describing who we are and our mission in the world. And like Jesus often does, he uses helpful illustrations to help us understand. So he says, you're two things. He says, you're the salt of the earth. And then a few verses down, he says, you're the light of the world. So we're the salt of the earth and we're the light of the world. That's our calling. So what does that mean? Well, let's go through it. Back then, salt's primary use was as a preservative. So you would rub salt into meat to prevent it from spoiling or going rancid. And I think the picture here is that God wants to rub us, his children, his disciples, into the world to do the same thing. He wants to mix his children into close proximity with the pain and the brokenness of the world. Close enough that we can see it. And then we have to interact with it. And there's just no way for God to do that without us being exposed to the suffering and the hardship and the hurt. So that's part of it. And then it says we are the light of the world. So once we're rubbed into the world, he wants us to shine. 
He doesn't want us to be like the world. He wants us to stand out. He wants us to shine like lights in the midst of things like a broken family situations and raging alcoholism and the greed and consumerism of our culture and in the midst of people who are hostile to our faith and in the midst of generational sin and brokenness. He wants us to be there and he wants us to shine. It reminded me if you've ever seen bioluminescent sand at the beach. I don't know if you've seen this, but when you kick it or when the waves crash into it, all the little plankton that are mixed in with the sand light up. And as you step or walk, you can see the glow of these bioluminescent creatures. And that's us. Jesus wants us to be both mixed in to the world, like salt, but also set apart. So when the waves of life crash into us, we light up and we stand out. And it's often in the pain and suffering of this life that most reveal the differences between our faith and the faith of the people around us. And God will use that pain and use that suffering to show the world, the lost and dying world, the truth about who he is. One of the challenges I think about trying to be salt and light is that it's a lot easier just to pick one or the other. It's, it's easy to shine without being mixed in, or it's easy to mix in without shining, but to do both is really challenging. It reminds me of a time I uh, lived in Northern Ireland for a year as a missionary in a Catholic housing development. And it was a place with a lot of great people, but also a lot of pain and a lot of brokenness, addiction, abuse, you name it. And so you can imagine the whiplash of me moving from a four-year Christian college to a housing project in Northern Ireland. And one of the things I learned there, it's a lot easier to be salt or light. It was easy to be light at college, surrounded by Christian friends and being able to go to four Bible studies a week if I wanted to, having lots of people to encourage me, professors who cared about my development. But then to be salt, to be mixed in with a difficult situation in a different country, it was hard not to just feel like I was drowning in the brokenness and the despair and the sin and the issues there. And I just began to feel hopeless what could change this? And one of the dangers of being mixed in is that you start feeling consumed by it. And I think that's one of the reasons that Jesus doesn't send us out as individuals to live into this calling of the Sermon on the Mount. But he sends us out as a community, a faith family, where we can help each other be salt and light in the world. I think the Apostle Paul was remembering these words from Jesus when he wrote in Philippians. He said, Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the crooked and twisted generations, Paul says we should shine like lights in the world. That's, that's our calling in the Sermon on the Mount. 
And it'll play out a hundred different ways for all of us. And yet the vision of us as the family of God is to support each other in fulfilling that calling and that mission. Now you might've recognized the phrase, the light of the world from a different part of the Bible. Maybe you've heard it before in the beginning of John's gospel, where he famously describes Jesus as the light of the world. He's, he writes, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. You can almost expect John to interrupt uh, here in Matthew and check his notes and say, actually, Jesus, you're the light of the world. I'm not the light of the world. And here I think we get a clue to the second reason we said uh, there's two reasons, and so the second reason that God is allowing the hardship into our life, it's part of our mission and calling, but it's also part of the, our Father's goal for us in, in conforming us to the image of his Son. And the reason that he uses the phrase light of the world is that we are being made to reflect the, the light of God in the same way that Jesus was reflecting the light of God. Or another way to say it is that we are becoming little Christs. Little Christ. Listen to this quote from C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity. He writes, Jesus came to this world and became a man in order to spread to other men the kind of life he has by what I call a good infection. Every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. And when we keep that in mind, that paradigm in mind, that what Jesus was, he's teaching us to be, you start seeing it all over the Sermon on the Mount. So when we read that where Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, we're reminded where Paul in Ephesians says that he himself is our peace. And when we read, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, we can remember Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. And when we read in the Sermon on the Mount, don't store up your, your treasure on earth, we can remember Jesus who had nothing on earth and came to bring all of his treasure to heaven. So Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is teaching us to imitate his life because he wants us in his family. He wants us to be his siblings who share his father. And I think that's one of the things that stuck out to me the most as I was studying this passage this week is that how often Jesus mentions his father. And in the Gospels, over 175 times Jesus talks about his father, his father, uh, who's with him, who loves him, who has a plan for him. And yet, in the Sermon on the Mount, he doesn't talk about his father. He says, your father, your father. Over 15 times in these few chapters, he says, your father. He says, your father sees, your father hears, your father knows what you need. Your father will give good gifts to those who ask. And the reason Jesus doesn't say his father and he says your father is because he's teaching his disciples and he's teaching us that we share the same father. We share the same father. That's 
That was the biggest impact to me this week in studying this passage, is that Jesus is saying, you have my father as your father. Now, I know many of us and many of you have complicated relationships or memories of your earthly fathers, which certainly can shape how you hear this. And I know there may be a lot of hurt and pain in the phrase for you. But I think what Jesus wants to do here is to transcend and rise above all those relationships and all the ways that they come up short and to tell us about a new relationship that we are invited into. One of, uh, one of my kids' favorite games to play in the backyard is sharks and minnows. You're probably familiar with sharks and minnows. And of course, I'm always the shark and they're always the minnows and I'm chasing them around the yard trying to catch them. And so, you know, I have three kids. My two oldest kids are... You know, they just start yelling and screaming and running around and trying to avoid me. But as the chaos builds, every time, my three-year-old just can't take it anymore, my youngest, and he just runs straight at me and dives into my arms and just hugs me. Uh, I think the stress of it all, he's like, I just got to go see my dad. He's kind of a daddy's boy. And I think that's a great picture of childlike faith, that when life gets too much for us, we need to just sometimes run straight into our Father's arms. And this is the picture when Jesus is teaching us how to pray in the passage we read. He says, you're praying to a Father who already knows your deepest needs. He knows what you need before you even ask him. So how do you pray to somebody who already knows what you need before you ask them? I think you pray like a child curled up in the lap of a beloved parent who is talking about things in their own life, but really just enjoying the warmth and embrace of their parent. And I think that's the picture here when Jesus is telling us how to pray. Over and over again, he says, you know what? Go be alone with your father. Go be alone with your father. And when you pray, you don't have to heap up tons of words like the Gentiles because your father already knows and he cares about you. Um, and he's in heaven. And all you need is this simple prayer that Jesus teaches us, this model prayer where we can acknowledge our basic needs and admit our, our shortcomings and sins and ask the father to carry us through. And so if we were to summarize what Jesus is teaching in the entire Sermon on the Mount, we could say that he is teaching us to become the little Christs that the Spirit is making us into, rubbed into the world, taking on its pain and shining, knowing that we have a Father in heaven, just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. I think that's the key to understanding the persecution and the suffering and the hardship and the even the death we have to face in this life is that he brought, the father brought the son through it. And so he will bring his sons and daughters through it as well. It reminds me of Paul's words in Romans chapter 8, where he writes, For all of us who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we're children, we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So Paul writes that we have been brought into this new era of relating to, to God our Father. Throughout the Old Testament, God has mentioned his Father, but it's only a few dozen times, and it's always in relationship to God fathering the nation of Israel. But then in the New Testament, we enter into this new era, this new stage of intimacy with our Father, that we can even call him Abba, Father. And Paul says that we are his children, provided we suffer with him, that we may um, know that we are his. And I want to ask you this morning, do you know God as Father like this? Have you turned from the things in your life that separate you from him? And have you run into his arm like a little child? And for those of us who have trusted in Christ this morning, I want to remind us that we need to remember this calling. And when suffering and hardship and sickness and death come our way, don't be like me and automatically interpret that as God being against us or God pulling back. But remember that he brought Jesus through those things. He brought Jesus to, to the cross and through it. And he's our father too. And so we can trust and we can know that whatever God brings us to, he will bring us through. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of being your children. Lord, we admit that we stumble in many ways, just like our own children, and that we come up short and we fail you, but we know that through it all, you have a fixed love for us. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would walk with us through this life, that in the hardships and the suffering and the loss of this last year, you would be a comfort to us. And Lord, we pray that we would know you in the suffering and that we'd know you in the hardship and that we would lean in when life doesn't go our way, knowing that life didn't go perfectly for Jesus either. And yet you had a great plan for him as your son, and we know you have a great plan for us as your children. We trust that you will bring us up to and through this life and into the next one. And we hand it over to you. It's in Jesus' name we can ask these things. Amen.